No president has ever consulted more widely or talked with more people from more backgrounds to seek input about a Supreme Court nomination. Well, as long as we're pretending, let's well, pretend. I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on KSO. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. New Orleans, WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. WNHN in Concord, New Hampshire, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, KODX in Seattle, Washington, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, it was just moments after nominating Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday night, a man likely to be the deciding vote on overturning Roe v. Wade if he is confirmed by the U.S. Senate, that the White House touted the pick in a statement with quotes from 34 members of Congress, 34 male members of Congress and zero women. It was a glaring oversight, observes Addie Baird at Think Progress, considering the president's campaign pledge to appoint justices to the Supreme Court who might overturn rulings affecting both women's health and the health of anyone seeking an abortion or reproductive care. Describing it, however, as an oversight is uh, likely far too generous, at least in my opinion. I'd say that it's just business as usual for this White House and now this Republican Party. I would argue that's a feature, not a bug. Meanwhile, Democratic lawmakers and hundreds of protesters, not millions or even thousands, according to press reports, but hundreds, but I guess we'll take what we can get here, rallied at the Supreme Court outside the court late on Monday evening to protest President Trump's nomination of Judge Brett Kavanaugh to serve on the highest court in the land. Kavanaugh, if confirmed by the Senate, would replace Justice Anthony Kennedy, whose retirement was announced in late June. If Republicans remain unified in their support of Trump's pick, Democratic senators have no real options to stop the nomination, at least according to The Hill. But I would say that's not true. If Democrats remain unified and ailing John McCain cannot get back to Washington, D.C., 
A defection of just one Republican could block the confirmation. Similarly, if Democrats remain unified and can't win over a Republican, if John McCain can't get back to D.C., Senate Democrats could simply walk out en masse, shut down the U.S. Senate entirely for lack of a constitutionally required quorum, and in theory at least prevent a vote altogether on Trump's nominee to the Supreme Court, not entirely unlike what Republicans did in 2016 when they would not allow a vote at all for almost an entire year on then-President Obama's nominee to the Supreme Court. But Senators Cory Booker of New Jersey, Richard Blumenthal of of Connecticut, Kristen Gillibrand of New York, Jeff Merkley of Oregon, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, and Bernie Sanders of Vermont were all vehement in their rejection of Kavanaugh at that late-night rally outside the court on Monday night. Sanders told the crowd, this is not an easy fight, but it is a fight we will win. Elizabeth Warren said, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. We are in the fight of our lives. I have reviewed his record. She's talking about Kavanaugh. And let me tell you, he did not end up on Trump's list because he is the consensus nominee. Warren's reference recalled Obama's nominee to the court, Merrick Garland, who was, in fact, a consensus nominee. He was even cited by top Senate Judiciary Committee Republican Orrin Hatch of Utah, as exactly the type of nominee that Obama should select for the court if a seat ever opened, which it did with the death of Antonin Scalia, only to have Hatch then join his fellow Republicans in refusing to even hold a vote on Garland. Ever. Period. Democrats and civil uh, libertarians alike have predicted that health care and abortion rights will be among the key issues with Kavanaugh's nomination, as many worry that a right-wing so-called conservative justice who has shown hostility to abortion rights is likely to overturn the landmark Roe v. Wade case that legalized abortion nationwide. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, who insisted that the American people should have a voice in selecting the next Supreme Court justice when a vacancy happened in February of 2016, that was nine months before that that election, said that he intends to bring up Kavanaugh's nomination for a vote almost immediately this fall, ahead of November's midterms which is just three months in full after Kennedy's retirement becomes official at the end of July. Judge Brett Kavanaugh, for his part, is a 12-year member of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, where he serves under Chief Justice Merrick Garland, by the way. He was placed on the court by the George W. Bush administration, for whom he also worked in the White House as a senior counsel. He was also a key member of independent counsel Ken Starr's team, which produced the report that served as the basis for President Bill Clinton's impeachment in the 1990s. And he has since written the only one on Trump's shortlist to do so, by the way, that presidents should not be burdened with legal inquiries, criminal or civil, while in office. As forcing a president to face a trial, he argued, would be too much of a burden and, quote, cripple the federal government in the bargain. Well, uh, lots to discuss here today, obviously, so I'm delighted to be joined once again by the man who has been our go-to Supreme Correspondent 
over the last month as the court completed their term. Mark Joseph Stern covers the law, the court system, the U.S. Supreme Court and LGBTQ issues and much, much more for Slate.com. Mark Joseph Stern, welcome back, my friend. Thanks so much for having me back on. It is always a pleasure, even when the times are very dark. <laughs> well, you're uh, you're very kind to be so optimistic. I think we could all use that right now. Uh, as I said, you were our go-to guy during the uh, month of June on standby for us for all of the Supreme Court rulings for the uh, for the terms big opinions as they came down. But we haven't spoken since Justice Kennedy announced he'd be retiring as you actually sort of predicted at the end of your last appearance here. So now that it's a reality and now that we have a hard right judge selected for Trump by the right wing Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation, I want to before we get to some of the specifics of what that means and, you know, for which rights the court is now likely to overturn if Kavanaugh is confirmed by the Senate. I want to ask more generally about him. Trump had said during his uh, Monday night announcement that, quote, inside legal circles, Kavanaugh is considered a judge's judge and a true thought leader among his peers. He also called him a brilliant jurist. Any uh, truth to that effusive praise simply on a judicial level, Mark Joseph Stern? No, there really isn't, because Kavanaugh is not a thought leader in the sense that he's a brilliant guy at the vanguard of legal theory or constitutional law. He is a party man. Brett Kavanaugh is a Republican. He has been a Republican foot soldier in virtually every major Republican legal battle of modern times, beginning with, of course, the Clinton uh, investigation led by Ken Starr, uh, going through Bush v. Gore, defending George Bush's uh, broad, broad claims of executive power. Uh, this guy has long been a staunch conservative defender of the Republican Party, and he has served that role in his capacity as a judge on the D.C. Circuit to a T. You know, there are these decisions that some uh, are, are claiming uh, prove Kavanaugh is a moderate, refusing to decide the merits on Obamacare, for instance. Uh, but those decisions are just ducking major blockbuster cases so that Kavanaugh could reduce his paper trail if and when he got mm. elevated to the Supreme Court. He himself is clearly a kind of apparatchik, a staunch conservative Republican who, much like John Roberts before him, ascended through the ranks by being a loyal party man and serving on the bench as a loyal conservative. He is not a moderate or a centrist or a heterodox like Kennedy could be, and he's not an especially brilliant guy. He seems smart enough, but by Supreme Court standards, he's not a cutting-edge intellect. He is a decently intelligent, again, apparatchik, who's going to do on the court precisely what Republicans put him there to do. Uh, here's how Kavanaugh described his own judicial philosophy at the White House announcement on Wednesday. I want to play this, Mark, and uh, and then I'll, I'll let you decode because you talk about how he's, you know, is similar in the mold of, of, of John Roberts and the way he's, you know, tried to keep his powder dry while he was on the lower courts. Uh, here's his uh, what he says about his own judicial philosophy, and I want to play it and let you decode what this actually means, Mark. My judicial philosophy is straightforward. A judge must be independent and must interpret the law, not make the law. A judge must interpret statutes as written, 
and a judge must interpret the Constitution as written, informed by history and tradition and precedent. So uh, pretty cookie cutter for Republicans these days, uh, especially those who are being nominated to the Supreme Court. Sounds like a whole bunch of right wing code words in there to my ears, Mark. Uh, please decode that for us, if you could. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the Federalist Society line, the uber conservative legal establishment uh, that raised Brett Kavanaugh from basically from birth. This guy was essentially hatched in a Federalist Society lab uh, to spew out pablum like this about, oh, the text and the history of the Constitution must dictate my results. Well, isn't it convenient that for originalists like Kavanaugh, the text and history of the Constitution consistently leads to conservative results that favor the Republican Party. Uh, and I would add, too, that many of the major decisions that, that the Supreme Court decides do not directly involve the Constitution. They involve interpretations of federal statutes. Well, how do you use text and history to understand what these statutes mean? Kavanaugh hasn't given us any idea, but the, the answer, of course, is that he will read them as stingily as possible when it serves his purposes and as broadly as possible when it leads to an outcome that he likes. Look at a case like uh, the, uh, the contraceptive mandate. Uh, which Kavanaugh felt the accommodation was not uh, sufficiently uh, respectful to religious liberty, um, that was a, a personal judgment call. That is not a decision he came to by simply reading the text of the law and saying it ineluctably points me toward a Republican-friendly result. That is a judge using his prior beliefs and prejudices to take him to a result that he likes. And Kavanaugh's never going to be honest about that, but I kind of wish he would be, because he almost certainly has uh, his Republican votes locked down. I mean, Democrats can try to pull these procedural maneuvers, but Kavanaugh is not even pretending to be honest here. He's doing what Neil Gorsuch did, which is to spew out these lines that sound good, they, they make good TV, I suppose. If you're not very attuned to uh, legal argot, then they sound just about appropriate. Right. But what they really mean is, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want, and I'm going to ascribe this sort of pretextual, originalist, textualist glean to it uh, in order to make it seem like I'm maintaining my independence and not just doing favors for Republicans. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, it's also BS, because when it comes to, you know, things they don't like in the Constitution, I mean, the Constitution is, is pretty clear, if you follow the breadcrumbs, that, uh, you know, Congress can set laws concerning voting rights. And, I mean, quite specifically uh, talks about that, and yet... The Roberts Court and Scalia, who is, I guess, the original originalist, you know, b both jumped in f with the court and actually overturned the law that was passed by Congress, the Voting Rights Act, or at least part of it. So, I mean, it's it's very convenient when they say that, it seems. Uh, and uh, rubes on uh, TV seem to, uh, to, to seem to buy it when they hear it. Mark, is there any Democratic equivalent of that? Uh, of that school for GOP judges you, you talk about with the Federalist Society? Well, uh, there is an organization called the American Constitution Society that uh, sort of arose as a progressive response to the Federalist Society. Uh, but the reality is that ACS, as it's called, does not sort of 
tutor and hatch and raise and care for and feed <laughs> young lawyers the way that the Federalist Society does. It does not groom liberal lawyers to seize power as soon as possible and implement an agenda uh, as soon as possible. It's more of a kind of networking coalition so that young progressives and, and all progressives uh, can sort of know each other, form the same networks, be friends. There's not this relentless drive on elevation to power that you see uh, at the Federalist Society's core. Mm. And whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing is up for debate. You know, I'm, I'm a member of ACS. I, I spoke at their last convention. It is not this ruthless, power-chasing, uh, grooming program for judges. It really is a kind of coalition uh, of progressives. The Federalist Society is so much better at breeding and mm. elevating their preferred candidates. And I just don't know if liberals have enough ruthlessness to perform a similar trick. It just doesn't seem to be in their DNA. Certainly doesn't. Uh, witness the fact that there's a question, that there's any question at all uh, of whether all of the Democrats even can uh, can stay unified in uh, voting against Kavanaugh, much less uh, blocking a vote entirely for, by example, walking out and, and preventing a quorum. Um, but let's uh, talk uh, some of the uh, specifics here. Many uh, Democrats and, and opponents of Trump, of course, are putting Roe v. Wade right at the top of the list of things that will now be reversed if Kavanaugh is seated. Uh, that's what Trump had promised repeatedly during the campaign. I see no reason to believe it won't happen. And as you wrote uh, last night at Slate, uh, that's not just what could happen if he's confirmed, but will almost certainly happen you des you describe how uh, as a, a member of the DC circuit court Kavanaugh actually uh, offered a roadmap for overturning Roe in this case of the 17 year old girl this undocumented uh, immigrant minor who was being held in detention by the Trump administration just last year in 2017 uh, and uh, they were trying to prevent her from receiving an abortion how did Kavanaugh's opinions in that case offer the roadmap for uh, essentially overturning Roe, as you see it. So Kavanaugh basically laid out for uh, everyone to see precisely how the courts and the Supreme Court can hollow out Roe to the point of meaninglessness without actually acknowledging what it's doing. So under current Supreme Court precedent, uh, an abortion restriction is unconstitutional if it's an undue burden on a woman's right to abortion access. That's the standard, an undue burden. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think quite reasonably in this case, the ACLU said, look, the, the Trump administration is barring this 17-year-old girl from getting an abortion at all. That is the, the, an absolute ban on her right to choose surely that counts as an undue burden. Uh, the, the Trump administration responded by saying, well, no, if she wants an abortion, she should just self-deport back to her home country, where, by the way, abortion is illegal. Um, and Kavanaugh, who sat on the, the three-judge panel that first adjudicated this dispute, he reached this bizarre compromise where he would have let uh, the government force this poor girl to remain pregnant for at least two more weeks 
um, so that she could try to find a sponsor, so a family member in the country who would take her into their custody, uh, and then the government would no longer be able to control her abortion decision. But he, he also wrote, if at the end of these two weeks she hasn't found a sponsor, she does not have a guaranteed right to abortion access, she will just have to start over at the beginning of this, of this litigation and try again. Here's the problem there. She was already 16 weeks pregnant when Kavanaugh issued this ruling. She was living in Texas where abortion is banned at 20 weeks. And every week into her unwanted pregnancy, the eventual abortion procedure became riskier and riskier. So Kavanaugh was saying that it was not an undue burden on this poor girl to force her to continue carrying an unwanted second trimester pregnancy for at least two more weeks, right up to the point that it would be literally illegal for her to terminate the pregnancy, um, basically because to Kavanaugh an undue burden means nothing. So that, I think, is, is where the court will go in this direction, mm. to say, oh, well, undue burden, that's just such a malleable standard that will allow any kind of abortion restriction and just say that's not an undue burden because we say so. So they'll just uh, basically, uh, th- uh, this is a roadmap to essentially chip away, make it harder and harder and harder until it's essentially impossible to obtain this constitutional right, even if they don't overturn it outright, is, seems to be the argument you're making here. That's exactly right. You know, if the court comes out and says, we hereby overturn Roe versus Wade, then they're going to incur a massive political blowback that will probably sweep Democrats into power. But if the court just hollows out Roe, doesn't admit what it's doing, but continues to rule horribly in cases like this undocumented minor case, and say, well, that's not an undue burden, and that's not an undue burden, then it can make Roe meaningless, uh, essentially uh, abolish Roe and the constitutional right to an abortion while maintaining political cover. I think Kavanaugh was chosen to fill that role. He will be very adept at it. He will help guide the court out of its abortion rights jurisprudence uh, and do so in a disingenuous way that keeps political backlash at a minimum. I want to ask about uh, some of the other rights, some of the many other rights he's likely to overturn and the question about what he said about indicting uh, sitting presidents and so forth. But I got to get to a break before I get to that break. Uh, Mark, uh, Maine's uh, Senator Susan Collins, Alaska's uh, Lisa Murkowski have uh, both indicated that they support Roe v. Wade as settled law, whether that includes not voting for a justice who would be the fifth vote to, yes, overturn it entirely if they wanted to. You know, that that's unclear at this point. Still, uh, but you and uh, Dahlia Lithwick argued recently that Collins, at least, uh, you wrote this over at Slate, will uh, will not vote, most likely will not vote to block Kavanaugh uh, and that she won't protect Roe in the bargain. What makes you so sure about that? Well, unfortunately, Susan Collins is not widely known for having a spine. You may remember that she exchanged her vote for the GOP tax cuts for a promise that uh, the Trump administration would fix Obamacare. Uh, it never did. Uh, instead, it has continued to sabotage it, and Susan Collins would rather not talk about that. Now she is saying that uh, she believes Neil Gorsuch would uphold Roe v. Wade, which is hilariously false and just a, just a laughable statement. And she seems to be claiming that 
any judge or, or nominee who professes respect for precedent uh, has promised her that he or she will uphold Roe. I mean, that's nonsense. We all know it. We're all adults here. We shouldn't have to pretend to believe Collins. She is seeking political cover to not betray or, or, or bolt from the Trump administration's party line. She's going to pretend that she thinks uh, Kavanaugh supports Roe and would adhere to Roe. Uh, I just don't think she's gettable on this issue for utter and complete lack of any spine on abortion. Right? Is, she talks the talk, but she doesn't walk the walk. Is it, is it lack of spine or is it lack of brain? I mean, does she really uh, believe this stuff and she's just taking cover? Uh, or does she really not get it? Does she really not understand how she's continuously, it seems like, being played on these issues? Well, that's the big question, certainly. Uh, but I don't think an individual can survive in politics for as long as she has mm. without having a little more savvy. So I think she's just letting herself get played. I think she recognizes that it's better to just pretend to be an idiot than to uh, be, an, uh, you mm. know, be known as a manipulator or a conniver. And so that is the tack she has chosen. And what about Murkowski? Do we have any sense of where she is at this point? Because, again, if, if John McCain can't get back to vote, uh, it really only takes one Republican uh, to vote no to block this entire thing. True. Uh, it does not seem to me that Murkowski is eager to stake out uh, any kind of position contrary to Trump's party line or against Kavanaugh. She has not even gone on the morning shows to explain why she thinks preserving Roe is important. It seems to me that her support for abortion rights is mostly theoretical. Uh, and absent any any sign of spine from her, I, I've mostly written her off as a lost cause. Nothing but good news from Mark Joseph Stern. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with more of uh, more of that swell news and talk about some of the other rights and um, Kavanaugh's interest that, that are likely to be overturned. But also uh, Kavanaugh's his his thoughts on whether a president can be indicted or at least should be indicted. I, I'm reading his response somewhat differently than I've seen a lot of other uh, people read it. We'll talk about that after this quick break with Mark Joseph Stern of Slate. I am Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, says now is the time to fight for Democrats to uh, unite against Donald Trump's U.S. Supreme Court pick, Judge Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, and uh, he argued today outside the uh, U.S. Capitol that Kavanaugh is the product 
the pick, the choice of the right-wing Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation for a reason. We knew that if President Trump picked his nominee from the list of 25 that was written by special interest Federal Society and Heritage Foundation, the nominee would be prepared to overturn Roe and to strike down the health care law. Those two organizations are dedicated to getting rid of Roe and getting rid of the Affordable Care Act. Leonard Leo, who runs the Federalist Society, his goal in life is to get a Supreme Court to repeal Roe. Does anyone think any of those 25 names, including Judge Kavanaugh, would protect Roe? They wouldn't be on the list if they were. And, of course, Roe and health care are not the only rights that are now uh, greatly threatened at this point by this U.S. Supreme Court if the Democrats can't figure out how to block Donald Trump's nominee. We're speaking with Mark Joseph Stern. He covers the law, the court system, the U.S. Supreme Court, and much more for Slate.com. Uh, Mark, there's, uh, of course, a lot of focus on uh, on Roe v. Wade and abortion by opponents of Trump's pick. Uh, but the threat, it seems to me, exists to a whole host of long fought and hard won constitutional rights that seem to now quite literally be at stake here. Um, what do you see as literally not just as a, you know, a campaign year, you know, a scare, but literally now at threat of being reversed by this U.S. Supreme Court under this new nominee if he is uh, if he is seated here? Well, one of the big and obvious uh, rulings was uh, a decision from the Bush years in which the court ruled five to four that the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, has a duty to regulate carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases. Um, This was a landmark decision in which Justice Kennedy provided that key fifth vote with the liberals uh, to compel the EPA to start regulating uh, the greenhouse gases. And I think there is a very, very strong chance that with Justice Kavanaugh's vote in the near future, uh, the Supreme Court could reverse that and not only uh, tell the EPA it no longer has to regulate carbon, but actually say the EPA doesn't have authority to regulate carbon. This is what Justice Samuel Alito said in a speech a few years back, and I don't think the conservatives have given up this fight. So one issue on the chopping block that we haven't heard a lot about is these environmental regulations that Trump has attempted to eviscerate but has not been wholly successful. Uh, His Supreme Court could end up doing the rest of the work for him Mm. and preventing the federal government from regulating carbon in the future. That's just one, of course. Uh, There's more, I guess, voting rights. Uh, Is that uh, something that is actually uh, at threat now in this country? Yes, I think so. Uh, And I think it's, it's, it's frightening because Justice Kennedy was not exactly a friend to voting rights. He generally voted with the conservatives, but he did sometimes switch over to uphold the fundamental right to vote, something Kavanaugh has certainly not done during his time on the D.C. Circuit. Uh, I don't think that Kavanaugh is interested in putting real limits on partisan gerrymandering. He doesn't seem interested in putting limits on racial gerrymandering. Uh, And he has already, in his decision, signed off on voter ID laws, putatively designed to prevent impersonation at 
the polls. But of course, voter fraud is really non-existent. So actually just a racist voter suppression device. Um, Kennedy would occasionally swing to a kind of centrist position on this stuff. Kavanaugh has staked out a far-right ideology on voting rights, and we should not expect the court to be ruling favorably on the franchise anytime soon. What happens to cases that uh, Kavanaugh heard while sitting? I mean, he he actually uh, has opinions on something like 300 uh, cases at the uh, D.C. Court of Appeals. What happens uh, to those cases that he already heard, already offered an opinion on uh, on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals when those cases reach the Supreme Court, uh, like the lawsuit against the Clean Power Plan and so forth. Uh, does a justice need to recuse themselves from uh, such a case if it's an appeal to uh, a case they've already heard uh, on the lower court? Yes, with the caveat that no one can make them do it. The Supreme Court is theoretically bound by a code of judicial ethics, but there's no body to enforce it. Uh, And so the justices have total freedom to make their own decisions about when to recuse and are under no obligation to state why they have recused or why they haven't. So Kavanaugh should recuse himself on any cases that he was involved in in the courts below. That is standard practice. But if he decided to buck that trend, and we are certainly in a period of a shattering norm, mm. there would be no way that we could prevent him from doing so, and he would be able to serve once again on a case he's already heard. So uh, has that happened before, or this would be the first time that uh, they've just changed their mind, they're, they're going to stay on the case that they've already heard uh, at the Supreme Court? It's an interesting question. In modern times, I do not believe that has mm. happened. You know, there was a push to force Justice Elena Kagan to uh, recuse from the Obamacare challenges because she served as Solicitor General when the ACA was passed, mm-hmm. but it turned out she never had any involvement in those cases as SG, so she was able to continue sitting. Uh, but I don't think in modern times this has happened. There is a very strong uh, tradition of recusing from any cases you touched uh, in any other capacity before you join the court. It will be a good test of Kavanaugh's independence and, and candor uh, to see if he follows that tradition or whether he bucks it. All the uh, judges on Trump's Federalist Society prepared list, um, actually all of them said nothing about this other than Brett Kavanaugh. He's the only one to have spoken out one way or another as to whether a sitting president can be criminally indicted or even sued uh, for civil matters, as Bill Clinton famously was while in office. Now, the Campaign Legal Center notes that Kavanaugh, in a law review article, said that Congress should consider a law exempting the president while in office from criminal prosecutions uh, and and even investigation. All right. Uh, that may be one of the reasons Trump wanted to uh, select Kavanaugh. But doesn't that also mean, Mark, that Kavanaugh recognizes and is, in fact, conceding that, yes, uh, short of a change in the law or the Constitution, that a sitting president can indeed be indicted under existing law and, uh, and the Constitution as written? That is a very savvy reading of what Kavanaugh wrote, and I'm glad you said that, because I do think that his quotes have been ripped out of context and made to seem like they're saying something they are not saying. Uh, I agree with your read. I think that is correct. I think that's what Kavanaugh said at the time. But I think it's important to remember that Kavanaugh's views on executive authority have swung wildly depending on who is in the White House. 
when uh, Bill Clinton was in the White House, Kavanaugh was very, very happy to take a cramped view of presidential privilege and power. When George Bush was in the White House, quite the opposite. Uh, and then when Obama was in the White House, he once again seemed to view executive authority as quite limited. Now that Donald Trump is in the White House, now that Kavanaugh has been selected by Donald Trump, I could certainly imagine him uh, pretending to have meant something different in the <laughs> quote you just read out. I can imagine him saying, oh, well, those were my views then. Now I have a different view. But I certainly agree that in that document, Kavanaugh is saying, under the law as it stands today, mm -hmm. without further action by Congress, a sitting president could probably be indicted. Yeah, I mean, I think he's the only one uh, who's actually on record, uh, on written record, sort of acknowledging that, uh, yes, nothing prevents currently, uh, at least, you know, no law, nothing in the Constitution prevents a sitting president from being indicted. I, I, I hope uh, Democrats get that and read it closely, because I've seen a lot of people reporting, oh, he said a president can't be indicted. That's not what I read at all uh, in, in, uh, no, in this no. paper. Uh, is is uh, would it be appropriate? Speaking of uh, recusals, would it be appropriate to demand that Kavanaugh uh, actually recuse himself from any decision involving Trump, his personal legal fate, or that of uh, members of his uh, 2016 campaign? Set aside whether he Kavanaugh would do it or not, but would that be? Uh, is there any precedent for that? Would that be an appropriate request for rec recusal here? Now, that is a very tricky case, and I'm not exactly sure uh, if there's a clear answer now or if there could ever be one, um, because typically judges and justices have been allowed uh, to sit on cases uh, that involve the president who appointed them naturally, right? We don't even, we don't even question that uh, as a rule. This is something a little different, maybe even materially different. Uh, it would be a case that came to the Supreme Court about Donald Trump's criminal activity, right, mm -hmm. or illicit behavior. Uh, I think that Kavanaugh, probably as a prudential matter, would be wise to sit out that case, given that he was not only appointed by Trump, but appointed while Trump was under investigation, mm -hmm. active investigation, meaning that unlike Gorsuch, Trump may have picked Kavanaugh partly because of his views on these precise issues, right? But again, this is not something that we are able to police. This is not something that anyone is able to police. And if Kavanaugh said, no, I'm just not going to sit this one out, I'm going to participate, there's not anything that we could do to stop him. That is so maddening. And uh, as you said earlier, you know, the fact that he is uh, at, at heart uh, just a Republican, not a you know a conservative legal mind, but ultimately a party guy. Uh, that's very distressing. Uh, Mark, before I let you go here, a question that I've been I don't think I've asked you about. I've been meaning to every time we've had you on, but we've had so much to talk about. Uh, but David Ferris, uh, a political scientist, uh, frequent uh, guest and on this show, author of a new book called Time for Democrats to Fight Dirty says that if the Democrats ever regain power in both the uh, both uh, Congress and the White House, that they should, in fact, pack the federal courts the way the GOP has uh, over this past year or so. But also they should actually add 
add enough seats to the Supreme Court, it's not nothing prevents them in the Constitution from doing this, uh, add enough seats on the Supreme Court until they restore a majority that was rightly theirs, though stolen by Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. Your thoughts on, uh, on that, on expanding the Supreme Court, if and when Democrats can ever take over the House and Congress to, uh, you know, to, to right the wrong that was uh, committed against them. So I am not yet ready to stake out a firm position in favor of court packing, but here's what I will say. Uh, court packing or court reform or whatever you'd like to call it uh, would, I believe, be a proportional, uh, proportionate response to what Republicans did to Merrick Garland and Barack Obama. I think that uh, blockading a nominee for nearly a year and refusing to even hold hearings remains one of the most egregious uh, piece, uh, pieces of uh, just Republican obstructionism we have ever seen. And I think that adding seats to restore uh, a progressive advantage on the court would, again, be a proportionate response. But I think that that response has to be uh, remedial and not proactive. So I think the big question is whether the court actually moves aggressively to strike down all of these liberal precedents and progressive laws, whether it overturns Roe, whether it overturns marriage equality, hollows out all of these sort of sacrosanct precedents and begins to return us or continues to return us to the Lochner era by basically preventing democratic self-governance altogether. Uh, if the court does that, and Democrats have a majority in Congress and the presidency. At that point, I think court packing would not be an unreasonable consideration. But I do think that right now there are too many unknown variables mm. uh, for Democrats to just dive in headfirst and be endorsing this plan. Well, uh, I'm getting sick and tired of uh, Democrats being so reasonable, uh, frankly. They're, uh, they're killing us with their reasonableness at this point. Mark Joseph Stern, uh, boy, uh, what a moment in time. Uh, glad you could uh, be here to uh, discuss it. I suspect we'll be shouting out again in the not-too-distant future. You can find Mark's important work at Slate.com, where he covers the law, the court system, the U.S. Supreme Court, LGBT rights, and so much more. You can and should also follow him, him on the Twitters at MJS underscore DC. Mark, thanks a bunch. Stay cool out there. Thanks so much for having me on. Always a pleasure again, even in the darkest of times. You rock. Okay, we'll take a quick break, and uh, Desi Doyen will join us with the Green News Report and some other stuff, including the response from uh, a lot of the environmentalists today, uh, their concerns about Judge Brett Kavanaugh and his nomination by Donald Trump to the U.S. Supreme Court. That is straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. 
We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Well, we are still melting out here on the West Coast. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen uh, joins us momentarily with the Green News Report and uh, some more stuff. But uh, just very quickly, in 2015, uh, just uh, justice, uh, he's not yet a justice, Judge Brett Kavanaugh wrote in support of the NSA's warrantless phone records collection program, which had been challenged on Fourth Amendment grounds. Uh, Kavanaugh wrote, in my view, that critical national security need outweighs the impact on privacy occasioned by this program. That he wrote in a concurring opinion with the U.S. Court of Appeals uh, for the D.C. Circuit, declining to rehear a case challenging the legality of the mass surveillance programs that were revealed by Edward Snowden in 2013. So he is... Uh, no friend of the Fourth Amendment and privacy. Uh, he also opposes net neutrality. Kavanaugh does. He opposes the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. He uh, says assault weapons bans are unconstitutional. Those are just some of the uh, rights you can look forward to uh, losing or seeing undermined under a uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh. But Desi Doyen... Uh, I'm glad that uh, Mark Joseph Stern had mentioned uh, the EPA and the concerns about the environment uh, specifically. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, there are several major, major cases that will have mm-hmm. a decades-long impacts on Americans' ability to not only have clean air and clean water, but also the window of opportunity to act on climate change. You know, this is a crucial time in Earth's history, and he, he can he can put a wrench into any effort at all to, to stop the worst, most catastrophic effects of climate change that we are looking at. Yeah, Sierra Club uh, says that Brett Kavanaugh is a great threat to public health and and environmental laws. Yes, they are uh, actually launching a campaign with their members, asking them to call their senators to tell them to oppose Kavanaugh's nomination. They've come out directly in opposition to it. The League of Conservation Voters said Kavanaugh has a record of consistently ruling against environmental protections and has opposed efforts to fight climate change, so we will fight this every step of the way. The Natural Resources Defense Council, uh, they also said, quote, our Next Supreme Court justice will cast pivotal votes on the kind of world we leave to our children. High court rulings will sustain or diminish our government's capacity to preserve clean air and water, safeguard our public lands, defend wildlife from the threat of extinction, and fight the growing dangers of climate change. Now, there is one fantastic final quote uh, that I'll leave with you here. Uh, this is for fans of Harry Potter, I tell you. Fans of, of Harry Potter? Yeah, Harry okay. Potter. This is the statement from the Center for Biological Diversity, their senior counsel. He is an American University law professor. His name is Professor Bill Snape. 
And he said... His name is actually Bill Snape? His name is actually okay. Professor Bill Snape. And he told BuzzFeed, quote, I call him Lord Voldemort because the vast majority of his rulings have been for big industry polluters and Republican agencies, and he is the one who scares me the most. Oy, yeah. Uh, nothing good. Nothing good about this guy other than what I talked about with Mark uh, Stern about, you know, maybe the fact that he has recognized uh, that nothing constitutionally prevents a sitting president from being indicted. Other than that, I can find nothing good about this guy. Virtually no good news at all today in, in uh, that respect. And we haven't even gotten to the Green News report yet, <laughs> just to make things worse. And, and by the way, we also have uh, two... Well, let's see, one's a tropical storm and one's a tropical depression now happening at the same time. We had so much we had to cover in our Green News report after being off for a few days. Uh, we didn't even get to uh, what could be a, a hurricane uh, on the East Coast. Yes. Uh, so first of all, we had tropical storm Bertha and Bertha has dropped, I think it's about five inches of rain on Puerto Rico that cannot handle any more rain at all. Barrel. Not Bertha, Sorry, right? Sorry, Barrel. That's you're correct. all right. Keep Sorry. your. It's early in the storm season. You better start getting these things straight, Desi. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, then tropical depression. I think Chris, Chris is, is yeah. still in a depression phase. He, he might cheer up and and start hitting the and start east attacking coast. North Carolina. Yeah, but at this point, it, it does look like his storm track is going to take tropical depression, Chris, off the coast of the east. But he is going to cause a great deal of dangerous surf. And I think you had mentioned earlier off air that someone has already been killed in trying to swim and play in that rough surf. Yeah, over the weekend, and uh, it could become a hurricane in the uh, next few hours, and uh, I understand it could hit Newfoundland, Canada. But, you know, Canada, who cares about that? Who cares well, about them? Yeah, and, and if it can hit Newfoundland, which is way up in the very supposedly used-to-be cold North Atlantic, that, that's kind of not good. Yeah. Thank you for all that not good news. You're Speaking welcome. of which... Let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Scott Pruitt was essentially head of the Pollution Protection Agency. While we were out, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt forced to resign. But his replacement... There are a lot of insiders who think he could actually be even more effective than Pruitt was because he is so low-key. Spells bad news for the environment and public health. Starbucks joins the global movement to end plastic pollution, plus... Temperatures soar well into the triple digits, up 25 degrees above normal. Extreme temperatures shatter all-time heat records around the world. All of those records shattered and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Besides being the greatest scam artist I've ever seen, I mean, I really think Scott Pruitt might be three raccoons under a trench coat. <laughs> this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, finally, Scott Pruitt, EPA chief, pushed out of his job 
It's incredible that it took this long. Yeah, scandal-plagued Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt resigned on Friday amid a growing wave of corruption investigations into his questionable ethics, his lavish spending, his potential violations of federal record-keeping and whistleblower protection laws, and abuse of his office for personal gain. To be clear, he didn't resign. He was fired. They let him pretend that he resigned. Well, he pretended pretty well in a fawning and servile resignation letter to Trump, he expressed zero remorse for his avalanche of scandals and instead portrayed himself as the victim of, quote, unrelenting attacks. Despite Pruitt's departure, the numerous probes into his ethics, spending, and management will continue. Good. Lock him up. For the record, the corporate media really only covered Pruitt because of his rampant corruption, which has been epic, to be sure, but not so much for his dismantling of pollution regulations. Apparently, making America sick and polluted again is just not as sexy as scandal. But don't worry, on his way out, Pruitt gave Americans a parting gift of more pollution and more cancer. On his last day, he issued a big loophole for so-called glider trucks. These are refurbished super-polluting long-haul trucks and exempted them from air pollution and emissions laws. Pruitt based the exemption for glider trucks on a discredited study funded by a major glider truck manufacturer. And Politico reports that Pruitt's EPA has suppressed an agency health assessment containing serious warnings about the toxic chemical formaldehyde, declaring that most Americans inhale enough formaldehyde vapor from everyday products in their daily lives to put them at risk of developing leukemia, cancers, and other illnesses. EPA sources say that delaying the report's release is in part an attempt to undermine the agency's only independent research unit that tracks the toxic health impacts of chemicals. And so what about his replacement, Andrew Wheeler, an actual coal industry lobbyist? Will he be any better? Well, unfortunately, no. Pruitt's current replacement is unlikely to be an improvement. As you mentioned, acting EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler is a former coal industry lobbyist and a longtime Washington insider. He's also dedicated to Trump's anti-regulatory agenda. And because of his experience on Capitol Hill, Wheeler is likely to be more effective than Pruitt at carrying out environmental rollbacks that can withstand court challenges. Careful what you wish for, Scott Pruitt opponents. Meanwhile, global warming intensified heat waves shattered all-time high heat records across the northern hemisphere from North America to Europe to Africa and Russia. Just a sampling, Burbank, California recorded a blistering new all-time hottest temperature of 114 degrees. Denver, Colorado saw an all-time high record of 105 degrees. Denver the mile-high city, it got to 105? Yes. Wow. In Quebec, Canada, at least 70 people died due to extreme heat. And most astonishing is the new heat record set in northern Siberia, where temperatures topped 90 degrees Fahrenheit. In Siberia. In Siberia. Wow. In Japan, extreme record rainfall has triggered deadly flash floods and landslides, killing more than 100 people. Now, these all-time heat and rainfall records are all in line with climate scientists' predictions that global warming will bring more frequent and intense extreme weather events. Don't tell Scott Pruitt or his replacement, Andrew Wheeler. Finally, a bit of good news. Starbucks announced on Monday that it will phase out use of plastic straws at all of its stores by 2020. And 
and switch instead to new recyclable strawless lids and straws made from biodegradable materials. Starbucks already made the switch in Seattle after that city recently implemented a new ban on plastic straws. Well, suck it up, Starbucks fans and uh, Starbucks. Why are you waiting until 2020? For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. I hope you all like it hot because it's only going to get hotter. Yeah. Right. The does we those uh, numbers, uh, those records, double digit, uh, breaking the uh, heat records out here in Southern California. You said that if this continues, we could be looking at uh, temperatures not 105, 110, 115, but. 130 degrees? Really? Yes, yes, yes. I am not kidding Says you. Says who? This is Joe Rome over at Climate Progress, who is actually quoting the U.S. National Climate Assessment. That is uh, 13 federal agencies that put together all this climate science and put out a report. They put out a report that the Trump White House itself approved last November, and it projects that if we fail to significantly curb emissions of carbon pollution, then these severe heat waves will become normal summer weather by mid-century could also get at least uh, 12 degrees warmer in mid-century alone, just as your baseline average Mm. summer temperature. Now, a different study that Joe also points to uh, from the Joint Research Center, the European Union's Science and Research Lab, they project They say it's going to get much cooler and better, (laughs) right? No, I wish wish that were the case. You have no idea how much I wish that were the case, but they are the ones that also say that we could see super heat waves of 131 degrees Regularly in many parts of the world oh. uh, by the uh, end of the century. Christ. 131 and, degrees. Uh, it's just mind-boggling. Uh, but we don't have to wait till mid-century. Uh, we already have an update on those uh, torrential uh, landslides and rains uh, in, in Japan. Yeah. Now 155 dead yes. in Japan from that? Yes. From record rains, historic. They've never seen anything like it. I feel terrible leaving everybody with uh, all of this horrible news. This entire hour has been horrible news. So uh, we'll just drop in. Hey, all 12 boys and their soccer coach were rescued from the flooded caves in Thailand. Yay! So there's that. They were trapped there for nearly three weeks. That's fantastic, wonderful news. Uh, It is. Although uh, one of the Navy SEAL, the Thai Navy SEAL divers uh, died in the course of that rescue. So, you see, I had to go ahead and ruin that, too, didn't I? Okay, well, let's finish it with this. It does show that we can achieve amazing things when we put our minds to it. Good optimism. I like it. You get a raise. All right. Thank you, Desi Doyen, our producer. And uh, my thanks to my guest today, Slate's Mark Joseph Stern, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. And uh, thanks from both Desi and I uh, to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us on the air uh, reporting all of this fantastic news every day. Sorry, someone's got to. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You're the only ones who keep us on your public airwaves. 
All right, that's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Say that you know.